0: for the rest of this month this month being september 2020 you can take out a subscription to the athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just one pound a month that's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each athletic podcast all for just one pound a month go to theathletic.com slash totally to get started
1: Totally Football Show, European Edition. Today, Ligue 1, hot breast action and PSG go tits up. Call them PTSG as Neymar and co. enter the relegation zone. La Liga, is Bale's weight over? Is Hazard overweight? Plus, previews of who to watch as the Bundesliga and Serie A get back underway this weekend. It's the Totally Football Show, European Edition, in association with Paddy Power. Listener, welcome on board. Tuesday, of course, is our day to round up the big continental stories with the big continental experts. I'm talking about Frenchman Julien Laurent.
2: Hello, James. Hi, everyone.
1: Hi, Jules. Oh,
2: that's sweet. (laughs)
1: Spain's Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Ah, guitars. What a surprise. There we go. Also on the line... Germany's Raphael Honigstein And I'm afraid we'll have to leave that Because it's time for Hull's James (laughs) Horncastle Hurrah (laughs) Listener I hope you're enjoying yourself wherever you are We share so many interests everybody But we have one thing in common, and that is we've never looked forward to the French roundup as much as today. Am I right?
2: (laughs) You are probably right. Yeah, you are are right, James. I think after the Champions League heroics from PSG and Lyon and the the league getting a better profile, I would put it, I think people thought, okay, let's have a look. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we give them a second chance. French football, we'll have a look at what the biggest game is in the season. We... You know, we will have great spectacle, great goals, great players, great atmosphere mm. and none of that.
1: Now, Jules, what I was actually talking about was the Brest goal, but we'll touch on that later on. Paris Saint-Germain against Olympic Marseille. Paris Saint-Germain, a whopping story. But just one of the major talking points we'll be touching on today. As I mentioned, Rafa, you're going to be uh, giving us a heads up on what to expect from the brand new Bundesliga season, won't you?
3: Can I hear the music again? It was so nice.
1: Ah, there we go. I
3: think I should do the whole roundup with the music playing in the background. And Bayern would go on to win a ninth title and Dortmund right. are doing quite well. <laughs>
1: huh? OK, and Alvaro, you've got all sorts of things. You're going to be talking bollards later on, aren't you?
4: Yes, I am. And fortunately, fortunately, nothing uh, big or no big injuries have happened in Madrid after the decision of the Madrid City Hall of uh, putting big bollards painted like, like La Liga balls in uh, Madrid's city centre.
1: Right, these are those those bollards that are normally grey and very much stone and they painted them to look like footballs with predictably disastrous consequences. But anyway, there you go, Alvarez just holding up a football, which sadly, listener, you can't see, but picture one and, and you'll have the same effect. James Horncastle, uh, we're, we're looking forward to the new City and and also Shamrock Rovers Milan.
5: Yeah, on Thursday, these one-off Europa League games, which are a bit of a throwback to... What we saw in what the '80s pre Champions League, um, where yeah, there's a real risk of some giant killing. So, looking forward to that.
1: All right, okay, but first on the agenda, of course, is the big story on Paris Sunday night: PSG Olympic Marseille.
0: You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Sunday
1: night Paris Saint-Germain losing their second straight game against their hated rivals Olympic Marseille a match that saw Jules was it 18 cards or 19 cards
2: so 14 yellows and five reds yeah okay 19 cards the
1: setup here Paris Saint-Germain who were Champions League finalists a month ago who've won seven of the last eight French titles. That's right, yeah. But had been hard hit by coronavirus, had lost their opening game of the season to Lens, with half their team out following positive tests. Sunday night then, they took on André Villas-Boas' Marseille in the latest example of the bitterest rivalry in French football. And Jules, it didn't go well for Tuchel's side.
2: No, I don't think it went well for, for anyone, really. I mean, Marseille are very happy, of course, because they won for the first time in 10 years in Paris. And I think it was 20 games since the last beat PSG home or away. But it was such a bad atmosphere, really so negative and so toxic. And even before the game, the days previously uh, before the game in the press conferences, both camp were going at each other, either taking the mic or... And, and you could you knew already that it would, it, it would be... It would be that kind of atmosphere, that kind of games where there would not be much football played, but there would be a lot of aggression and there would be a lot of contact and there would be a lot of fouls and there would be a lot of all of this. And really what we feared before the game happened, but probably to an extent that no one would have guessed for, because Marseille played well, they had a game plan, they were very solid defensively, they defended well, they played as a team. That was great. They scored on set pieces, which was, they had the second goal that was disallowed, probably should not have been disallowed, but that's pretty much all they did football-wise. But from PSG's point of view, they were very disappointed. They created chances and Mandanda in, in goal for Marseille was outstanding. But mm. but there just was not much football played at all. And it was it was a disgraceful game in the sense that both teams, especially Neymar and Alvaro, and we, we'll come to them a bit later, but both teams were really over the top in the way they played. And it's a real shame because, as I was saying before, I think it was a good time to, to give good publicity to French football and to Liga mm. and... and if people tune in, this game was broadcasted in over 150 countries. You could just imagine people maybe who never watched a league game before tuning in for that. They must have been pretty pretty disappointed.
1: I'm not so sure, Jules. I've got to say, Paris saint losing their first two games of the season and being in the bottom three has sparked a lot of interest, I think, for a lot of neutrals in Le Championnat. This, anyway, was a 1-0 defeat. The goal coming from uh, Florentova. I don't know if you want to comment at all about Sergio Rico's performance in goal for Paris Saint-Germain. Perhaps we'll hear from you on that in a second. But Rafa?
3: I just wanted to ask you Jules, and you sound very negative about the game which surprises me uh, because the result was, was very welcome but um, why? Uh,
2: why did they I put on which this? one of you? I really wondered which one of you four. I mean, I knew Alvaro because he's too kind and too nice. So then it was between you three who I've known the longest. And then I did think Rafa, you might be the first one. Although I thought Horncastle maybe could sneak in something. But yeah, go yeah. on. Sorry, um, I was wondering why they
3: put on a game of this magnitude at the second game of the season. That's usually never happens in any of the big
2: leagues. Yeah, you're right. I think the the new broadcasting uh, deal and the new channel that got created in France, uh, Media Pro come from uh, from Spain, I think wanted to start as early as possible with with a big game. So they they had the Saint-Étienne-Marseille game, which is also quite a big rivalry, not as big as this one, but on the, the opening game of the season on a Friday, that was postponed because Marseille was hit at that time by coronavirus. And then they were really keen on having this one very early on. That's why it came so early. Obviously, at the time, no one expected PSG to, well, no one thought PSG could do that, could go that far in the Champions League. And a few of the PSG players have said it was quite crazy to start the league season on the weekend of the Champions League final, just in case PSG and Lyon could, could have gone there. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was a bit strange, but there was still a game to be played. PSG still had a decent team on, even if Neymar and Di Maria hardly trained in the last two weeks because of coronavirus, even if. A lot of other players were missing. They were still a competitive team and I'm all for rivalry. And obviously being a PhD fan, you know, we were we were really good in that one in the last ten years. But but this game I, I don't think was played in the right spirit at all. But again, credit for Marseille because they deserved to win. They played they played really well as a team.
1: Once the game was drawn to a close, there was a, this on field melee which saw various players uh grappling and, 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 and battling with each other. The referee showing Four red cards, two for each team, but then getting a call from VAR saying that he'd miss one. He checks the sideline monitor. He sees Neymar cuffing uh, Alvaro Gonzalez of Marseille, goes back and shows uh, Neymar the red card. Neymar then says, I did it because Alvaro has been uh, racially abusing me throughout. Jules, what's the story on this?
2: Yeah, I mean, already in the first half, you heard him. Saying to the referee and to the fourth referee, you know, he, he said some racist stuff to me, and, and you hear him very clearly saying no to no racismo, no racismo all the time. And then at the end, like you said, when you leave the pitch, uh, the, the, so Media Pro, the French TV that, that broadcasted the game, said that they could hear. Alvaro racially abusing Neymar during the game. Neymar, as you said, after that, during the night, especially there was another tweet when he said that Alvaro uh, called him a monkey and, and other uh, racial insults. So the French League and the Discipline Committee will, will look into this. Um, they will look for audios, of course. They will look for for any sort of thing that they could use to see if really that happened or not. I mean, Alvaro put a tweet out on Sunday night, uh, not denying what Neymar was saying, but just saying that there's no room for racism in football. You could have thought that maybe Alvaro would have said, "Hang on, I never said that. You know, I'm going to defend myself. I'm innocent. Neymar is, is talking BS or I don't know whatever." Instead, he posted a photo of him with a lot of his uh, black teammates saying, "There's no room for racism anywhere in the world." I don't know. We will have to see. Uh, Marseille also said that Di Maria spat on Alvaro, which on television, you, you, you could certainly see something. And again, the, the Discipline Committee will have a look into that, as well as on the five red cards. So it'll be a very busy um, session for the, next, uh, for the next one for the Discipline Committee. But obviously, the most serious one are the Demar Speed, but especially, I think, the racially abused uh, incident between Alvaro and Neymar, if it happened again.
4: I would like to know what will happen with Neymar, because uh, he has offended in the past. He's, he's a re-offender, so what's uh, the punishment that is expected for, for the player? It's not the first time that he's sent off in Ligue 1.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, the, the discipline committee will have to, to look into it. So if in the rulebook for a, um, a fight, because you could clearly see, especially kozawa and Amavi properly exchanging punches and kicks, stuff like that, that could go up to seven games ban. Uh, the racism incident if it happened again that's a 10 game ban the spit is a 6 maximum I'm talking maximum sentence here 6-1 uh, for, for spitting and Neymar I guess would go down to the brutality or slapping someone or punching someone uh, which then can be up to 7 games I mean he was never sent off for punching someone you know he's, he'd had red cards before more by reaction or things like this so that could that could play against him for sure uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen uh, but we will know in midweek. We will have to see. It's just not again. It's just not a good look. It's not good for PSG because they're losing three more players, already being short because, as we said, many were missing from coronavirus or various injuries and things like that. So we might even have to call back Choupo-Moting and give him a, a new one-year deal. But but yeah, it's not it's not good for either teams because even Marseille now have that momentum after two wins in two, and mm-hmm. they will have to be without Benedetto, without Amavi. Uh, so it's not it's not good for anyone really.
1: Mm. Uh, Marseille be playing Lille next week who are flying high in this, this start of the season as for Paris Saint-Germain it's their worst start to a league 1 campaign since the 80s they're in the bottom three Jules are they going to be alright have they got enough good French lads who know the league well enough to get them out of trouble
2: I think what's interesting and and Horny was texting me during the game and we were sending each other a gif of, of Max Allegri of course because I think the the pressure now will intensify quite quickly on Thomas Tuchel Now, of course there's circumstances on why they lost those two games on Sunday Again, you had some players missing, but but it was just not good enough. And I think Tuchel in his coaching in both games was very disappointing. I think there's a bit of patience running out on Leonardo's side. And I think Tuchel should be very, very careful. They play on Wednesday night again against Mets, which there's no way they, they don't win that game. I mean, I can tell you right now, if they don't win against Mets, then I, I'm sure I'm sure he's out of the door. And I think someone like Pochettino or Allegri will obviously be quite keen, I think. But, but yeah, I think Thomas Tuchel has to put things right pretty quickly.
1: OK, Damien would like to know if Marseille can win Ligue 1. Jules, they're six points clear of Paris Saint-Germain as it stands. Is that enough?
2: I don't think six is enough. They need a a, a bigger cushion, I think, because eventually PSG will come back and all their players will come back and they will get stronger and, and they might not lose again this season. But they also could have a very difficult season on the back of the defeat against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. That sort of hangover plus the bad starts, plus... If Thomas Tuchel gets out, anything can happen. So I think this is really the year where Marseille, Lyon, Monaco, who've started well, Lille as well, should have a go at it, a proper go at it. Marseille will have to play in the Champions League as well. And when you know the fixture list of the Champions League every week, I think it will be hard because they have a small squads. But they certainly have to believe that, you know, if they are good in, in the games where they dropped points last season, which was, you know, a few, although they finished second, they, they can certainly have a, have a pretty good season. A
1: quick word for Lance, who got that the first win against Paris Saint-Germain of the season. That must have been a, a night of huge celebration for them.
2: It was great. And it was obviously the return into the top flights after many years, I think nine years uh, in, in the second division. They have such a great support and great fans. And only 5,000 of them were allowed to be at the Stade Bollard. But you could still hear them. It was great. They Again, they, they had a perfect game plan. They went for it. They were really aggressive. That worked well. They, they deserved to win that game against PSG. And then they won again at the weekend against Lorient. So it's two wins in two. And they're doing a great job there. They've got a great owner um, who's spending a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy in that club. And it's great because they're one of the best clubs in France with, again, the best fans. And they deserve some luck now after some years of, of not being so good. So good, good on them. It was a really, really interesting weekend in France as well as the, the psg Master game.
1: OK, because there was also that extraordinary match between Brest and Dijon, which featured the goal, which I hope, listener, you've had a chance to enjoy by now, from Ivan Cardona, which sounded a little bit like
6: this. Well, to
1: quote the great man, you're not going to see a better goal all season. I really wonder if you will, actually, because this, this was extraordinary. You ever seen anything like that before? Rafa?
3: Um, I mean, shades of um, our fascist friend. What's his name? Yeah. Di Canio. Canio. But yeah. this was better, no. The, this the was height, better. When you... This
2: was better. The ball is higher. Yeah, he's up at shoulder level when he
4: does the, the scissor I remember kick. remember McManaman is scoring one like this for Real Madrid, but it wasn't nowhere near as good. But the style of the goal was very similar. And another one from Fernando Torres against Betis when he played for Atletico de Madrid. I recommend the listeners to look at it as well because it was, uh, there was an athletic display very similar to the goal that we we're talking about.
2: Mm.
1: James Horncastle, you see great goals every week because following City, A, but this... For, for many years. <laughs>
2: for, for many years.
5: I, it was Latin esque I think, ultimately. It's the sort of thing that we saw him... I mean, it's, it's, it's a different goal, but in terms of acrobaticism if that's a word yeah it very much felt like a bit of ibracadabra in terms of height taekwondo kind of you know coming into uh, mm. coming into use um, but no um, off the top of my head can't can't think of a goal quite like that it could be yeah there's yeah.
1: a strong martial arts feel mm. the two card
5: mm. kick
2: it's, it's like a uh, captain tsubasa for the for the listeners and i'm sure many of them you know know about the um, the cartoon on tv uh, captain tsubasa they score crazy goals like that because it's a cartoon on television, obviously, but it certainly felt very much like, like Tsubasa scored that goal. James, don't tell me you don't know Captain Tsubasa.
1: I'm just looking it up now.
2: Yeah, Captain surely. In, in Spain, we call it differently, I think. Yeah, in France as well, but Captain Subasa is Oliver and Benji, name. we
3: call him. Is yeah, that one of those man- manga, manga ones, yeah?
2: Yeah, Oliver and Benji, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the same one for us, but the real name is Captain Tsubasa. Okay.
3: I'm just
1: watching some Captain Tsubasa on YouTube at the moment.
2: It's can't amazing.
4: You want to see a goal, you have to wait for 30 minutes. I mean, they're the so relied the, on that.
2: Yeah, the ball are the last amazing. time in the air. Yeah, and exactly.
1: The a bit like watching uh, La Liga, no? Have to wait 30 minutes
4: mm. for a goal. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Especially nowadays.
1: Yeah, well, I tell you what, uh, with the, the situation in Liga nicely rounded up by Jules, then we'll possibly touch on some of the points later on when we get to your questions. But let's next move down to Spain. This season, the Premier League's going to be a little bit different. But at Paddy Power, we're trying to embrace the new normal by looking at the upside. Avoid unnecessary journeys. That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Fake crowd noise. The Emirates has never sounded so good. Self-isolate. Well, some midfielders do that very effectively. Avoid European travel. Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. When you think about it, not that much has changed, really. New normal. Same old football. Paddy power. 18 plus. Be gamble aware. on
0: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, smart speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football show with James Richardson. Mira José Luis, otro más de José Luis oh. y yes, bomba. Oh. Gol. Golazo José Luis. Golazo del comandante, el comandante de tu parte de adelante Levante.
1: Morales there with what would have been a Morales boosting goal for Levante except that their local rivals Valencia came back and beat them 4-2 in the Derby del Turia and went top of the table as a result. Great stuff there from Valencia under Javi Gracia. However, this is a bit of a shock, Alvaro, because we heard last week how all their players had done one.
4: Yes, and I still believe that Valencia is under a difficult circumstance. Uh, in fact, in fact, on Friday before the game. Uh, Javi Gracia was very vocal about uh, the ownership of the club and he, he said that uh, all the promises that uh, the ownership did to him uh, hadn't been met, that uh, he needed more players and those players are not uh, arriving at Valencia. One of the players he wants to sign is uh, Etienne Capoue he knows that the player can come on the chip to Valencia for 3-4 million but uh, he's not getting the, the players he's asking for. So yeah, the game arrived uh, in a, a little bit of a turbulent situation for Valencia after Javi Gracia who is a man of harmony but uh, he had to speak out for himself and his players, after Javi Gracia said that uh, Basically, the ownership wasn't helping him to, to make a better team, but Valencia won it, as you said, and it's uh, not only the leader, but also Vallejo, one of their um, strikers, is the top scorer of the competition, so it wasn't such a bad week after all, but if you see Valencia's squad, uh, you will see that there has been a clear drop of quality in there, and um, Garay has been replaced by Mangala, or the uh, Coquelin uh, or Parejo for a player called Esquerdo, uh, Rodrigo lead striker for Khan in Lee and Ferran Torres for Musa a former Arsenal Academy player so yes obviously there is a drop of quality but at the same time it was very nice to see how kang in Lee and especially Musa um, a player who is still 17 years old were capable of uh, competing in the, the Spanish top flight and yeah Valencia got a victory that is quite important for them uh, in a night that was supposed to be a Morales night because he scored the brace and he played beautifully
1: Mm. Uh, You talked about a turbulent situation. Uh, Valencia aren't the only ones. Uh, Liga La Liga in general with one or two issues. Uh, for a start, there's the ongoing conflict between the federation and the league uh, and whether they can play matches on Friday and Saturday night. The opening game of the season had to be postponed over that. Secondly, you have the fact that, as you mentioned, Alvaro, there's been almost no transfer activity. Sixteen of the Liga's clubs have spent less than £10 million over the summer. Uh, Ten clubs have spent nothing in transfer fees, the likes of Real Madrid have so far at least only called in Martin Odegaard back from loan from Real Sociedad. What's the mood as this season gets underway then in Spain?
4: Well, I think the mood is uh, not as optimistic as some other years. I remember uh, back in the late 90s, La Liga called itself uh, La Liga de las Estrellas, the League of Stars, because uh, all together with Italy, all the talent was uh, coming to Spain and uh, was coming to, to teams that were able, able to allocate it. I remember that uh, Betis at some point uh, signing the Nielsen back in 1997. They got one of the most expensive transfers at the time. So, But it has changed a lot. At the minute, there are only three clubs who can actually allocate uh, expensive talent. Uh, Atletico de Madrid, Barcelona and Real Madrid. That's the situation. And Many clubs in La Liga rely on either young players or all players that uh, return to La Liga. And one of the perfect examples of that is uh, David Silva returning to Real Sociedad. So, yes, this is a new shape of La Liga. I think that is down to the financial crisis, especially after the COVID-19. Every team is quite, um, quite cautious when it comes to spending, because they know that this season is going to be difficult with no fans. And, yes, uh, and yeah. Uh, The morphology of the league is a little bit like that. There are many, many youngsters uh, playing and getting a lot of uh, quality time. Then some very good youngsters, they live too early, far too early, like Ferran Torres, because Valencia can simply not match the... Uh, salaries that uh, some other clubs can pay, and then there are some old players that are returning to La Liga just to play their last couple of years, so Santi Cazorla was another one uh, like that, so yeah, this is what La Liga is about now, and uh, I think that uh, the best thing that La Liga can do at the minute, or the clubs can do, is invest in their academies and uh, in the best coaches they can, which is, for example, something that uh, Valencia or Villarreal are trying to do. Sam
1: asking why Real Madrid have been so quiet, not complaining or anything, says Sam. It's just a bit weird. Is it the same rationale for them, uncertainty over the future?
4: Yeah, a little bit, yes. Uh, even though we have to say that uh, their finances are still fine. I was reading yesterday that uh, Real Madrid returned 25% of the season fees uh, tickets uh, to the season ticket holders. Uh, Real Madrid has lost uh, some money because the VIP area is closed, the museum is closed. And all that said, uh, Real Madrid still made some revenue uh, for last season. So I think that from all the clubs in La Liga, Real Madrid is one of those that is doing pretty well and especially navigating very well the crisis. On top of that, they have sold already James Rodriguez, Oscar Rodriguez to Sevilla, Achraf Hakimi to Inter Milan, and I think, of course, to sell um, Reguilon to an English club, probably, especially after Sevilla has signed already Acuña, a player who will play in the left-back, because Sevilla knows that they cannot afford reguilon if Manchester United gets involved in the negotiations as well. So, yeah, I think Real Madrid are making a lot of money with sales. Uh, They are loaning young players, and if they want to make expensive signing, I think that they could still do it.
1: You haven't mentioned Gareth Bale in there, in the potential outgoings.
4: Well, James, just to complete this, Gareth Bale is one of those players that Real Madrid could offload. But I think that the problem is that no club has made a genuine offer for him. And there are uh, a couple of more that could leave as well and could leave some money uh, to Real Madrid. One of them will be Lucas Vázquez and the other one will be Mariano. So, yeah, I think that Real Madrid has still attractive prospects that they can put in the market.
1: OK. Uh, Real Madrid weren't in action this week, uh, of course, because they came back late from the uh, Champions League uh, action. The same goes for Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. What is the background, by the way? What is the uh, battle going on between the Liga and the FA, which meant that all the Friday and Mo- Monday games have been cancelled?
4: Well, it's it's quite, uh, i put it very simply. I mean, the, the Spanish FA stopped La Liga uh, from starting on Friday as it was supposed to happen with a game between Granada and Athletic de Bilbao there is a court sentence from last September saying that for games to be played on Fridays and Monday La Liga has to agree uh, on that with the Spanish FA so it has to be an agreement before games are scheduled on Friday and Mondays so La Liga disagrees with that says that uh, during the current pandemic and uh, as fans Cannot make it to the grounds, which was the main point that the Spanish FA was making. Fans don't want to go to the ground on Fridays and Mondays. Well, since La Liga disagrees with all this and thinks that they could put the schedule or make the schedule on their own without asking the Spanish FA, there will be a trial on the 6th of October to see who is right.
1: Okay, wow. Now, in action that did take place, uh, Athletic Bilbao got off to a bad start, losing 2 0 away at Granada. Villarreal, Una Emery's Villarreal, had a 1 1 draw with Huesca. The Huesca was a wonderful team. team move?
4: I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, I have to say that uh, I like uh, the goal about Huesca a lot, but I also think that some of the uh, ball controls of Wef- uh, Huesca's midfielders were a little bit lucky. I don't want to be a downer with this, because I think that the finish of uh, Maffeo, the player uh, who played for Manchester City in the past was fantastic. And uh, uh, as you said before, I mean, Huesca scored a beautiful goal, the goal, they are newly promoted and Villarreal, uh, got a disappointing result because uh, under Unai Emery and after all the investment they have done, they probably thought that they could get the three points and a great start um, from this game. But uh, after all and all uh, the things considered, I think that it's been a kind of a positive weekend for Villarreal because Coquelin uh, picked an injury. It looked like it was was going to be a very bad one. And uh, fortunately, uh, Villarreal uh, sent a statement uh, on Sunday saying that uh, his injury wasn't that bad and that, uh, yeah, uh, there is nothing serious in his knee.
1: All right. Also positive, meanwhile, uh, lots of players and managers for COVID, including David Silva, who's only just, of course, returned to La Liga. Uh, Diego Simeone also. Uh, All these positive tests just generally, guys. Uh, A lot of people, I mean, a lot of the evidence is that if you do get the coronavirus, it can have potentially very, very long term impact on your health, on your kind of physical abilities and that. So far, has there been any suggestions of players' careers being uh, impaired or potentially damaged or curtailed by this? Or, or, Or are all these players who are testing positive asymptomatic so far?
2: In France, we had, uh, back when the pandemic was really at, the, at its highest, we had Junior Sombia, the, uh, the Montpellier midfielder, who got taken to A&E because he was really bad. And there was a point where I think him and his family and the club as well thought that he might not make it. That's the, that's the most serious case we had. And we had plenty, especially since this season has started in France. And most of the players, as you said, have been asymptomatic. But Junior was one of the ones that really, really could have gone really bad.
3: Mm.
1: But has that been the case in, say, the Bundesliga Serie A as well, that these positive tests are actually for people who are not displaying the symptoms and therefore you know, not necessarily going to pick up lung damage or anything?
3: I mean, in Germany, they've been very careful not to um, reveal their identity, even though some of the players tested positively. But to my knowledge, none of those who have actually developed any serious complications. It, it could be, and we just don't know.
1: Right. Aurelio de Laurentiis, the Napoli owner, Uh, also resulting positive uh, last week. And this was after he'd travelled to to Milan for Liga meetings and stuff. And am I right in thinking that there's been the threat of legal action against him, James, as a result?
5: Yeah, because I believe he had a test um, before he went to Milan for this meeting in which uh, every club in the league had a representative attending. It was a very important meeting because it was about deciding uh, whether or not to go uh, the way of uh, accepting a bid from uh, one of these various different private equity groups that are looking to buy a ten percent stake in a in a media company that will be selling city as TV rights around the world but with the Deurens yes he he, he he had a I think he, he underwent uh, before the meeting and then he didn't get the result of the test until afterwards um, so you know, obviously, he is endangering uh, the other people at that meeting of of, of infection. Um, um, but I mean, more generally, in in Italy, you know, we've had lots of lots of players, coaches coming back from Sardinia, uh, for example, um, and uh, testing positive, um, having been uh, asymptomatic. Um, I remember seeing some of the documentation around the protocol that they were putting together to get the the league restarted, which which. Had a lot of, of detail on the debilitating impact this this um, the the virus can have on respiratory and uh, yeah, particularly on uh, anyone's lungs or any, anyone's uh, heart as well. Um, if they get it particularly bad, but yeah, at the moment, yeah, I think it's going to be very curious. I mean, we've seen obviously the impact in Liga, where uh, what was it, with as you were saying earlier, with that Marseille Saint Etienne game that that got postponed. I think we will be ended up playing this this week. I, I'm not sure that will be the last case of that. I think Italy's um, Italy's women's team was supposed to be playing in Israel uh, this week, and uh, for different reasons, Israel has gone under. Uh, I think into quarantine, and so that game's been been cancelled. Um, so, you know, I think as as the situation c- continues to kind of fluctuate around around the world, it's it's it's. I think we'll be we'll be seeing more disruption.
4: Mm, I I touched both before saying this, uh, but probably probably uh, for young players the lethality of the virus uh, is not that bad, but the contagion rate can affect the competition a lot. Uh, I remember that the Spanish second division playoff was... Tremendously affected by the fact that some Labrada players tested positive and uh, and yet to the the point that uh, the whole playoff system had to be rescheduled like uh, 10 days after the games they should have been played so I think that that is a minor danger in comparison to to losing a life obviously but we will still see uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, coronavirus related uh, inconveniences in La Liga Mm -hmm. and in every European competition.
1: Right, well indeed. Next up, let's cheer ourselves up with a bit of Transfer Tool.
0: You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power.
1: Hurrah, transfers. Jules, market's open for ages yet. You're talking about Wesley Fofana, Wanted to join Leicester. What's the latest on that?
2: Well, the latest is uh, Saint-Étienne uh, rejected the first bid of 30 million euros for Fofana. They don't want to sell him. He really, really, really wants to leave to join Leicester. He, he believes this is a great chance for him, a great opportunity. He renewed his contract no long ago to stay at Saint-Étienne. So, so Saint-Étienne would get some money... If, if he was going to leave, a bit like Saliba did before signing to Arsenal. So he doesn't really understand why they don't want to let him go. I think that Claude Puel would be quite stubborn and that's what Claude Puel, that's the best word to sum up Claude Puel anyway. And we want to keep him even against his will and against his desire, but it's one that we have to close. It's still a long time before now and the end of the transfer window. So I guess that can happen and you saw that Leicester had to play Wilfred Ndidi as centre-back uh, on Sunday against West Brom. So they really, really need someone and I believe that if they would not spend too much time chasing for Final, unfortunately, for him. I mean, if, if they can see it's so a no, then they would move on to another of their targets. So it would be a shame. He's a wonderful player, really, really talented. But Leicester cannot wait for him for too long either.
1: Meantime, ren top of league, 1, but Camavinga is top of Real Madrid's shopping list. Is that right, Alvaro? And is he really going to go?
4: It's been reported in Spain and there is a genuine interest of Real Madrid um, on this player. Um, all that said, I mean, I refer myself to what I said about Real Madrid finances. They are good. They haven't had any losses from last season. They are not in the position yet to make like a, a very, very, very big signing. But at the same time, they just have to offload a couple of players that they still have a good name in the market. And I believe that then. Real Madrid could, uh, could do it, yeah, of course. But uh, I don't know if this is the player Real Madrid needs, really, uh, considering that last season Karim Benzema was the only competent striker and he's already 32, 33 years old. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to compete for La Liga uh, to to retain the title and to win Champions League, you'd better have a, a backup striker to Karim Benzema. And uh, Luka Jovic, so far, is not that player.
1: Alvaro, are Barcelona buying Hector Bellerin?
4: That's unlikely, because Barcelona doesn't have uh, money now, and for all the sales that they are doing, they are not uh, getting a lot of money. In fact, uh, Arturo Vidal is uh, meeting Barcelona representatives, and Barcelona's board basically uh, to leave, and he will probably leave for a symbolic fee if he does. Uh, So Barcelona doesn't have a lot of money, and the last uh, report is that if they want to get Hector Bellerin, they will try to get him on loan, which... I don't see how that will play out uh, for Arsenal. I don't see them accepting that. So that's unlikely to happen, really, because if uh, Barcelona wants to sign a player of that quality, they will have to sign sign him for 35-plus millions. And at the minute, uh, they just can't uh, use their money for that uh, because uh, there are some other areas of the pitch that they have to populate first.
1: And Rafa, just while we're on the subject of transfers, no news from your various ongoing stories?
3: Um, no, there are some news actually about uh, David Alaba and his latest uh, negotiations with Bayern because Uli Hoeneß, the Bayern Honorary President, came on television on Sunday and spoke about Alaba's agent, Pini Zahavi, um, being a money greedy piranha uh, over his demands um, saying that uh, Zahavi is asking for a, a double figure sum in the millions just for the signature and alleging that um, David Alaba wants to be in line with the best paid players at Bayern, um, Lewandowski and Neuer, and that Bayern couldn't accept these demands. Um, Zahavi's camp and the father of David Alaba, who's also acting as, a, as his agent, have um, said that these allegations are nonsense, that numbers hadn't been discussed with Zahavi and that uh, the idea that it's all about money is a dirty lie. Um, So really um, hotting up nicely that story. Is there any
1: chance that Oli Hunas, given his background in in finances, meant it as a compliment?
3: I don't think he meant it as a compliment. Um, I don't think he was necessarily aware that um, the idea of running down a contract, um, which he alleged uh, might be happening with Thiago's suitors, uh, he mentioned Man United and Liverpool, um, he called that lacking style. But of course, again, that's not a strategy that Bayern themselves have been averse to in recent years. Um, Most um, famously running down Robert Lewandowski's contract without making a serious offer. Uh, He was saying that in his view, Thiago had a deal agreed with either Liverpool or Man United or both. uh, That's quoting him. uh, But uh, they had not made any attempt to actually sign him and he expected them to make a low-ball offer Right at the end of the transfer window, to, In his quotes, blackmail us. So these are these are the news from Bayern.
1: What's your impression of Thiago? Has he made an agreement with both Liverpool and Man United?
3: I don't know about Man United. I think the Liverpool rumours are are very strong for obvious reasons. Um, I think emanating from the dressing room, uh, backed up by by some of the reports that uh, there has been contact. It's It doesn't really matter unless Bayern and Liverpool agree a deal. And Bayern, I think, being frustrated um, and being a little bit unnerved by the fact that those offers, those bids have not been forthcoming. Uh, Whether that's really a strategy on Liverpool's behalf or maybe just a case of them having to sell one or two players before they're in a position to do do that, I'm not sure. But certainly, um, you know, the idea that Thiago has some kind of agreement with Liverpool is, is something that Bayern themselves believe. Um, so that that's why you get Uli Hoeneß's view from. I think the United thing is probably less acute. Um, I think it's still more about uh, Liverpool and when will they show their hand, if at all. Um, just one more on Alaba, just quickly. Of course, the fear from Bayern is that these... Demands which um, Kika reported as high as 25 million euros a year for five years, which is something that Bayern find very, very hard to agree with. Um, There is a chance that the demand is only so high because actually they don't want a new agreement and that the end game is actually running down the contract. Uh, Alaba, like Thiago, has one more year left. So if he were to run that down, then next season he could go to Spain where he wants to go. This year there's just not enough money at Barcelona or Real to make that kind of deal happen. Um, there'll be more money available for, for his agents uh, because for a free player um, you save the transfer fee but the money usually goes to the agents in one way or the other that the, the clubs would be saving on the transfer fee. So that could be the, the end game here and that's again Bayern find it hard to deal with when someone does to them the way that they tend to do to others. Mm. We all do Rafa,
1: we all do Richard Sox wants to know how close we think City are to signing Coulibaly, James
5: (laughs) This is quite the saga um, because uh, City and Napoli are not talking directly to each other after a fallout a couple of years ago um, about the Jorginho transfer which never happened at least from Napoli to City, he ended up going to Maurizio Sarri's Chelsea instead Um, Napoli still want a lot of money for um, Koulibaly. Um, They're not backing down from, I think their current post-COVID asking price is is around €75 million. And yeah, that's not something at the moment that City have been particularly inclined to move their offer up to. So um, I think as the season um, gets closer and closer, uh, there's going to be even more brinkmanship because... um, yeah, I think Gatuzo wants to know who's in his team next year. Um, and likewise, Premier League season's already started. Um, City would like to know who uh, is going to be at the back for them. So at the moment, there's still a bit of an impasse, despite uh, Fali Ramadani, um, the uh, often-in-the-newspapers agent, who also did uh, the Leroy Sane deal from City to, um, to Bayern, uh, trying to get this deal over the line um, but facilitated um, by this kind of uh, cold relationship, I suppose, between between Napoli and City.
1: Right. Excellent. Well, we'll be hearing about the City season very, very shortly. And next up, though, let's touch on the return of the Bundesliga. Uh, we'll be asking the big questions like who will be second this time around?
0: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kaye and the very best football writers around.
1: Raphael Honigstein, Bayern Munich are the European champions and they kick off the Bundesliga season. They're at home to Schalke on Friday night. Also coming up on the opening weekend, which is now days away, it's the Borussia Derby. Dortmund against Mönchengladbach, that's Saturday at 5.30. Rafa, can anyone stop Bayern? Who looks best placed? And what teams, what surprises can you promise us?
3: Well, it's a usual story, really. I mean, Bayern are, are huge favourites, especially after adding Leroy Sané. But Dortmund have a great squad and, and Dortmund haven't lost anyone at the time of recording. They kept all their big players for another season, um, with the possible exception of, of Hakimi. But they've managed to add uh, Thomas Münier. Uh, for that uh, fallback position, they've been able to um, get Jude Bellingham in. They've also have uh, Renier who's a young Brazilian from Real Madrid on loan. Um, so this is a strong squad. The question is, can they have the kind of consistency that you need to to live with what is now the best team in Europe? Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for anyone uh, in this league to 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 compete with Bayern. The one thing that I think might work in everybody's favor is that Bayern are at the moment a pretty thin squad and they could still lose a couple of players that we just talked about and they find it very difficult um, to spend money on um, the replacements that they would need um, having let Perisic go they're now down two wide attacking midfielders not just one they are still in the market for right back so there is a bit of weakness, which Hansi Flick himself has acknowledged or has warned of. And, you know, once you factor in all the amount of games that they'll be playing, plus the international games from some of their players, maybe it can turn into one of those crazy seasons that we used to see in the in the noughties, when Bayern would still be able to have an off year here and there. And you saw champions like Stuttgart, Wolfsburg and Bremen. Um, and later, of course, Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund take advantage. So it's not impossible, but it's going to be very difficult. And
1: were that to happen, you see Dortmund is being well-placed. And who else? Mönchengladbach by Leverkusen?
3: I mean, I really like Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, they have a strong side and they also have been able to to keep all, all their big players together. The question is, with the Champions League for them, will that just prove a little bit too much? Um, I think it's difficult to see how that team can deal with that without losing a bit of sharpness because they work very hard to win their games. They don't have quite the same level of individual quality and as a result, they have to work collectively very hard to, to win games. Um, and I think the mental drain of having, you know, Real Madrid on a Tuesday and then you way to Freiburg on a Saturday or Sunday, I think that might be a little bit too difficult for them to deal with when it comes to to challenging for the title. Leverkusen without Harvard, without Folland, they're rebuilding a team. Patrick Schick has moved there, which has been a great buy for them. But I think it's difficult to see them involved, being involved in, in the title race. The big question mark is Leipzig, because Leipzig have lost Timo Werner, uh, their most important player. They're still trying to sign an adequate replacement. Um, that is proving very difficult for them in the current climate. And you wonder, will they keep improving as they have last year on the Nagelsmann or will they kind of regressing or stalling um, but in theory they should be in a position to to push Bayern just a little bit as they did last year to be fair we had a title race it was just towards the final quarter of the season that Bayern pulled away and I think it could well be a similar story this year.
1: Okay high hopes for Dortmund Gladbach on this Saturday?
3: Yeah, should be a really good game. Um, I mean, both are, are great sides on the ball, especially Dortmund, um, with all their weaknesses. Very rarely uh, play any uh, dull games. They score a lot. They concede a lot of chances. So, yeah, should be should be a really good game. Okay. And Hertha Berlin, have they been spending
1: crazy money again this summer?
3: Um, not so much. They spent a little bit, but a lot of the investment has already been uh, going into the team. You know, they made these huge signings uh, in uh, the January market. Uh, with the likes of Piontek coming in. So I think there's still a plan to spend a bit more, but they also find it a little bit difficult right now to get the kind of players in that they want. Um, they have uh, Lucas Toussaint, of course, uh, joining them from from Lyon. That was a, a player that they'd already signed, but then uh, delayed the move, and I have high hopes
4: for him. Rafael, I just, I just wonder uh, about Verder uh, Bremen, because they've been... Needing relegation for a number of seasons, and they they managed to to survive. So I wonder if this can be that season when they definitely go down to the second division.
3: Yeah, and that that worry is one that's being shared by a lot of people. Um, of course, in Bremen as well, there's still a lot of talk that Milo Rashica, who's been their best player, uh, might go. Clubs in the Premier League interested in him. Other clubs in the Bundesliga, but perhaps uh, being priced out. Uh, there's not a lot of money around. Uh, the last time the league spent as little collectively was 2012, so basically almost a decade ago. Um, that just shows you just how how tight the money is, and it's difficult for for Verda, who really should have strengthened, but simply aren't in a position to do so.
1: Well, looking forward to seeing all of that getting back underway this weekend, and equally to Syria resuming activities. And we'll finish off today's Totally Football Show European edition uh, with a big look at what awaits in Italy next. On Apple Podcasts,
0: Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James
1: Richardson. For nine straight seasons, teams have begun the Serie A season, hopeful that maybe this would be the year that they'd end Juve's dominance. But for nine straight years, La Signora has finished on top. James, is it going to be different this time around?
5: Well, I mean, they only won the league by a point last year, and I suppose part of that was because after they won the league title, um, they relaxed a little in view of the final eight of the Champions League, but they'd also been pretty shaky. Let's not get away from that. Um, Juventus had the third best defence last year, the fifth best attack. They've regressed, I would say, over the last couple of years. They've appointed a, a rookie coach. Uh, we know a lot about Pilo, uh the player. We don't know a lot about Pilo the manager. And we're going to find out what he's like starting uh, Sunday against uh, Claudio Ranieri's Sampdoria. So in some respects, um, you know, I do think this feels open uh, compared with not other years because I mean there have been title races in recent times. You think of Maurizio Sarri's last year at Napoli, for example. Um, But there are certainly going to be teams that have more continuity uh, than Juventus. You know, Conte is coming back for a second year after having that uh, summit with the club um, after the Europa League final, which they lost to Sevilla. I think Milan, as I said last week, have done some really good business in the the transfer window and don't seem like they're done yet. Um, And Atalanta, we've seen Papu Gomez turn down a... Uh, a big move uh, to uh, the Gulf, I think. I can't remember whether it was in Saudi Arabia or Qatar, but certainly uh, more life-changing money for Papu. He's decided to stay. And Josip has come comeback um, remains to be seen whether he's ready to begin training again with the first team. They're not rushing him back at this moment in time, but that's certainly a positive thing for them. Um, and... Uh, yeah, more generally, I think Napoli were one of the big disappointments last year, James. But they sort of uh, improved a lot under Rino Gattuso. Um, they won the cup, um, so yeah, they've made the biggest signing of the transfer window so far in, in, in Victor Osimen from from Lille. Um, so you know, I expect them to do better uh, than they did last year. Um, so in some respects, you've got seven teams, I would say. At the top not at the standards of the seven sisters at the 90s but seven teams who i would say were definitely better than the rest um in city i think it's going to be very difficult for the likes of bologna sassuolo uh verona fiorentina even to to, to break into that that group if you like at the at the top of the table um but yeah I, i'm very curious to see um how Juventus play under Andrea Pirlo? We we got a flavour on, on, on Sunday when they played a friendly against Navarra, but that's third division Navarra. I don't think we can really take too many uh, too many, many indications from that, um, other than yeah, little bits about you know how they how they're looking to defend, how they're looking to build up. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a, a very good season.
1: Juve Sampdoria is on Sunday night. Uh, Gonzalo Higuain, who's uh, in the meantime moved off to Inter Miami with Luis Suarez, uh, on the verge of signing up for La Signora. Parma Napoli is earlier on Sunday. That's one to look out for. Roma, we're getting their campaign underway against Verona. But uh, fresh bad news for poor Nicola Zaniolo who uh, did his ACL, or at least did his other ACL, in Italy's 1 0 victory away in Amsterdam over the Netherlands.
5: Yeah, and so much about. Saniola's uh, game is his explosiveness. Um, you know his ability to um, pick up the ball, turn and drive at uh, opposition defenses. And I think that was one of the things that was so encouraging when he initially did come back um, from uh, his first knee blowout because he didn't look any different than the player that we'd seen. Um, you know up until last January. So. Yeah, you know, the the hope, I suppose, is that with a with a, a cautious approach, um, you know, that he will get back um, to to his best. I think, you know, he wanted to take some time after the injury on uh, last Monday to uh, to assess his options. I think they they looked at maybe going to the same specialist that Ibrahimovic had seen in the states, but obviously traveling to the states at this moment in time is difficult with um, uh, with their restrictions and limitations around the pandemic. So they chose to go to. Uh, to uh, Innsbruck instead so uh, yeah a big blow for him a big blow for Roma because uh, Roma have uh, undergone a takeover um, in the meantime and uh, they've only signed one player um, so far and that's Pedro on a free transfer from uh, from Chelsea um, they're still trying to do the Chris Smalling deal um, but uh, you know their focus at the moment has really been on, on bringing money in from sales Schick will help a little bit in that although a lot of that money uh, that Leverkusen are paying them is going to go to Sampdoria um so yeah they've got a lot of work to do and of course there's there's some speculation around the future of of Edin Dzeko as Juventus are still looking to sign a centre forward uh to replace Gonzalo Higuain um you know they're in talks with Luis Suarez but Suarez has got to sit this Italian exam at the the University of Perugia, um, before he can even get to a stage where they might give him a passport, and that's still a uh, that's that's still not a given. And obviously, yes, there is some time between now and the end of the transfer window on October fifth. But we all know how Italian bureaucracy works. It does take some time. It's not like something can happen overnight. So. Um, There's a lot of plates spinning in the air um, at the moment uh, among uh, a number of clubs. And I think that's one of the reasons why the business that Milan have done so Mm. far is so impressive because they've been able to get players in early, which they need to with these Europa League uh, games coming
1: thick and fast. And uh, they may not be done yet with the transfers. Some word that they uh, might be looking to acquire Federico Chiesa uh, to, uh, to furnish Ibra with crosses and that. Speaking of the Europa League meantime... Second qualifying round of that competition, will see Milan visiting Shamrock Rovers on Thursday. Lewis Cassidy asks, what kind of team are Milan likely to put out against Shamrock Rovers? How seriously will they take the competition as a whole?
5: Uh, very seriously. Um, they are worried about this game. I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time with uh, various people at Milan last week. Um, and uh, and there was concern um, because it's a one-off game, and uh, and anything can happen in in that situation. You have a an off day, uh, then it doesn't really matter who you play against. Um, you know, Shamrock Rovers, I think, have played already eleven games in the League of Ireland. Um, they're unbeaten. They've got the uh, the best defense uh, as well. Um, so you know, obviously, there is a massive. Uh, talent disparity there but this is a team that um, has minutes in its legs um, has that winning feeling and uh, you know sometimes that can make all the difference even even if you are playing uh, against uh, a very good side like Milan who ended last season on a high um, have kind of added to that momentum signing the likes of Sandro Tonali and Brahim Diaz we need to see who exactly is available uh, for the game? Uh, there's some doubts, I think, around Zlatan and the registration of some of their uh, their new players. But you know, still on paper, uh, there should be enough there, more than enough to, to beat Shamrock Rovers. But you know, as we say in these one-off games against against the side that has has played a lot more football uh, than Milan in in this period, you know, it's 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 not something that they can take for granted and, and turn up thinking casually that they'll they'll just wipe the floor with them
1: so um it's uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see mm. all right welcome to shamrock as uh, damian marley <laughs> okay so nearly observed just a final word then on the sides coming up from Serie la spezia crotone and benevento because of course it's pippo inzaghi back in the big time
5: Yeah, Super Pippo, um, one of uh, this uh, group of former Milan players who are now coaching, uh, along with uh, Pirlo and Gattuso, for example, who will be coming up against, he'll also be playing uh, against his brother, Simone, who's coach of uh, Lazio, and they'll be hoping to do a lot better than Benevento did last time round when they were in Serie A, what, a couple of years ago, and they they didn't get a single point until December. When they uh, played Milan, wasn't it? when they played Gattuso's Milan and their goalkeeper scored Mm. in the final, final minutes um, to, uh, I think it was in stoppage time to get them a, get them a point. Um, So, you know, they're doing a kind of crazy eclectic uh, summer kind of transfer window at the moment. They tried to get Loic Remy and then I think there were some problems with his medical and they they ended up pulling out um, of that. Um, But yeah, as for the other ones, I mean, Spezia, I think they came up through the, the playoffs it's their first time in Serie A, even though they have got a Scudetto to their name um, back uh, in the in the war years when the, the firemen of uh, of Spezia won the the national title. They've got a really interesting coach, Vincenzo Italiano, who has won promotion in three consecutive years with three different teams at various different levels uh, of Italian football. Um, and then there's Crotone who are back um, as well, the uh, the Pythagoreans. Um, so. I'm curious to see which one of those will, uh, if any of them, can do what Verona did last year, what Parma did the year before, and really establish themselves back in the top flight. Because to be honest, usually two of the three promoted st- clubs struggles to get past thirty points. <laughs> so it's uh, it's often been it's been you know one of the arguments for Serie A going back to being an eighteen team league rather than a twenty team league.
1: Absolutely. Crotoni, you'd like to think they'd be good on corners. Uh, But, you know, we'll see. Can they square it? Yeah. Can they square it? Indeed. Very nice. All right, then. Well, that will all be getting underway this weekend. Uh, We'll be addressing one or two of your Twitter questions, listener, in a second or two. But first of all, let's get some odds from Lee Price.
6: Okay. just a second. Has everyone skipped? Great. Then I'll begin. I'm still refreshing on English football, let alone European, but Germany are immediately serving us up some fire with Dortmund-Gladbach on Saturday evening. Dortmund are odds-on to win this at 8-15, with Gladbach surely intriguing value at 7-2. I don't know if anyone listens to this, let alone regularly, but I often talk up the draw when it's tight, and here, that's priced at 16-5. Bayern Munich, by the way, are 1-10 to start of a win against Schalke, and 1-7 to win the league. Speaking of being seriously fancied, Andrea Perlo begins his reign at Juventus, with our odds suggesting we could be in for the closest Serie A title race for some time. Juve remain the favourites, obvs, but they're not odds on. This is not a drill, it's actually the well drilled Inter that are the cause of this. Conte's men 15 8 to win the league, Juve evens. The old lady are odds on though to start the season with a win. They're 2 9 to beat Sampdoria, who are 9 1 to spring a major shock. Perlo versus Vanieri, lovely versus lovely, like seeing your crush fight your nan. Hey, whatever you're into.
1: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Alvaro, Joe Michel Mella asks, any news on the Spanish Cup final?
4: Mm. It's very simple. Um, Real Sociedad and Athletic de Bilbao said that they wanted to play it uh, with uh, supporters in the ground. And uh, yeah, that meant that uh, the cup was effectively uh, forwarded to 2021. Uh, the idea of the Spanish FA is to play the 1920 cup final at least a week before the 2021 cup final. That will happen potentially in April. And whether that will happen with supporters or not is still to be seen because the pandemic in Spain at the minute is uh, hitting the, the hospitals and the population quite badly. But
1: the idea is to have back-to-back cup finals.
4: Yeah, uh, one week after another, yeah. Uh, definitely in in spring 2021 should be the moment when uh, the Spanish uh, cup final takes place. But of course, I think that Atletico de Bilbao and Real Sociedad will try to delay it as much as possible so some supporters can go to the ground and watch it there, because that was the reason why it was postponed in first place.
1: OK. Uh, here's a question from Jake Callahan, who says, can the panel think of another example of a manager being younger than one of their own players? Mine, says Jake, is Pirlo and Buffon. I imagine, Rafa, that there must be some of this... Uh, Julian
3: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. OK. Well, there's one. Stramaccioni with uh,
5: Zanetti, back in, the, right. back in the day.
1: Did he not... Was, was he not in charge briefly of, uh, of, of of Roma and Totti as well?
5: No, no, he was. Uh, he was famously well. He wasn't part of a trade. There was there was once this story that he was going to become the first coach to be exchanged for a player. I think um, when I think Inter wanted to swap him for Nicolas Bodiso or something, um, and that never ended up happening. So. No, he, he he didn't get the opportunity to uh, to coach. I imagine maybe one of his Udinese players when he was the first team coach mm. there might have been uh, Strama. Than his.
4: Strama. Mm. Okay, Alvaro. When Javier Clemente, the former Spanish national team coach, when he won two titles with Athletic Bilbao, two league titles, he was still in his late twenties, early thirties. So he was definitely younger than some players.
1: Okay, very good, Alvaro. How overweight is Eden Hazard? Does he have an Eden Hazard, if you know what I mean?
4: <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I think that he should be concerned about that. But especially he should be concerned, James, about what Roberto Martinez said, the uh, Belgian manager, that mm. he has to look after that ankle from now on for his entire career with the treatments both uh, before and after the games. Because... Yeah, he he hasn't had any, any good fitness lately and uh, he he got um, an ankle surgery as well in February and he, he hasn't been fully recovered ever since. So yeah, I think that you can associate uh, overweight to his lack of training, unfortunately for him.
1: Okay, and one final one for now from Mike Buchanan who says, Is it true that HH, Helenio Herrera, used to instruct his inter-team not to wash and brush their teeth for three days before games if so says mike it's an ingenious tactic who would want to man mark a player with bad body odor and garlic breath
5: (laughs) well i think we discussed uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, uh, bonucci's mental coach used to recommend that he have these kind of garlic sweets so he would then kind of breathe in in opponents faces um but um no, I mean there are all sorts of things that Herrera did. He? he had those motivational slogans above the kind of dressing room door, uh, which I can't remember. It said something plus something equals something. I imagine
1: it was victory. You don't have to be mad to work here, but it helps. That was another one. Tacca la bala, which is yeah, just yeah. Pass
5: the ball. Itali- the Italian
4: ball. food that smells pretty good anyway. So I don't think that uh, that strategy in Italy would be so bad. Used to, so he used bad to for make the a bunch. great
5: coffee, apparently Herrera. Great coffee as well.
4: Is that right?
1: Yeah. Really okay.
5: to uh, wake you up, get you going.
1: Hello, Margo. Very good. Well, on that earth-shattering note, that's where we come to the end of today's Totally Football Show European Edition. Come next Tuesday, we'll have two more leagues to tell you all about, plus the big guns back in action in La Liga as well. So make sure you join us for that to get all the latest from the continent. For now, it's many, many thanks to Jules Alvaro, Raphael and James and you, listener, do hope you have a wonderful week and we'll catch you in seven days' time.
0: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totesley Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy
5: Power.
4: Muddy Knees
3: Media.